Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Nick Scott at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, good morning to you all, and a very happy Father's Day. And as you might have picked up, our theme today is the perfect father. I uh, doubt that any of us would be claiming that title for ourselves. But like you, uh, like many of you, when it comes to fathering, the fathering role... I reckon I probably did the best that I could do with the information that I had available at the time. And, uh, you know, there's no manual for these things. No one hands you a fathering manual and says, just follow all of these steps. You'd end up, uh, as a father, kind of making it up as you go along. And uh, like many of you, if not all of you who are dads, I also made plenty of mistakes and uh, certainly have some regrets as I look back over my years of fathering my now adult children. No one has the perfect father and none of us has the perfect father. None of us has had the perfect father in our earthly lives. All of our fathers, um, I'd suggest, fall somewhere on the what we might think of the fathering spectrum. We're at one end of the spectrum. You've got those who have fathered well with dignity and honour and righteousness and truth and those kinds of things. The other end of the spectrum... Uh, you've got those who've fathered poorly and some of us have had these experiences where we've experienced fathers who've been abusive or uh, neglectful or in some other way have really failed in the fathering role. Over and above all of that, of course, we have God, our Heavenly Father, who we have been singing about today, from whom all good godly fatherhood flows. This morning, my plan is just to highlight some aspects of the perfect fatherhood of God Uh, to which we can aspire. Before we come to that, let me just suggest to you that the fathering role today is a fairly confusing landscape and one that's difficult to negotiate for us. If you go back a generation or two, I'm not suggesting um, fathering was any easier back then, but I do think the role of the father was clearer back then. You know, in times gone by, the dad, certainly if I think of my father's generation and before that, the dad was expected to be the breadwinner and the provider for the family financially. He was a handyman. He had a shed full of tools. He was expected to be able to do, fix things around the house that were broken. He fished and played golf, uh, as was his right. After all, I worked very hard. I've earned the right to go and have some time to myself and do these other activities that don't involve you, my wife, or the rest of the family. So he would retreat off to these places or to his shed. He was in charge of the outside of the house, things like maintenance and the lawns and the car and the barbecue. And the wife looked after the inside of the house, which was the cooking and the cleaning and the preparation of food and the the children, interestingly. It was the mother's role predominantly to take care of the children and tend to their needs. But for the perfect father today, there's a whole new set of expectations Uh, For example, he should be able to cook a decent curry. Uh, He should be able to understand technology well. He should be able to talk openly about his feelings. The contemporary dad, the young dad, should certainly be able to change a nappy. Is there an amen from the women? There are. There's probably a few amens there. Should be able to change a nappy. recent article in the West Australian uh, from a couple of weeks ago indicated that around 75% of dads said that they did things with their children that their fathers didn't do. Interesting. Including cooking, 
taking them to school and other things. What about things like chivalry? It's a confusing landscape. Uh, do I open the door for a woman to go through first? Do I stand up on a train and offer a seat to a woman? Well, that can end very badly. And uh, you can be accused of sexism and all sorts of things. Recently, uh, I was on a train and uh, a young lady uh, offered me her seat. Uh, I declined. I thought, how old am I? How old do you think I am? You know, she's sitting there thinking, oh, this poor old man probably looks like he needs my seat. Well, I was, uh, I was a little bit affronted by that. In the end, I declined, but I thought later, she's just being respectful and polite. It's confusing. It's a confusing landscape. But some things never change. And the fatherhood of God is one of those things. God's nature never changes. His love never changes. His character never changes. He's constant. He's consistent. He's dependable. He's unchanging in his character. And this morning I'm going to do something a little different and uh, just tell you three stories from my own life that highlight three unchanging attributes of God's perfect fatherhood. The first story goes back to my year 10 school dance, school social we used to call it. Uh, It was the 1980s when all the best music was written. Not the rubbish of today, now I do sound old, don't I? All the great music of the 1980s. And uh, this dance, I, I had my eye on a girl named Carol. I must have been year nine or year ten. And uh, Carol was out of my league, really, I would think. I was in that awkward, slightly weedy teenage phase, you know, where my feet were too big for my body, you know, that phase that teenage boys go through. Everything was a little bit out of proportion and underdeveloped. Um, I'm still emerging from that phase, as you can see uh, this morning. But I'm getting closer, which is good. Anyway... I asked Carol if she would go with me to the social and back in those days, you know, going with me to the social, what all that really meant was that we would arrive in separate cars, separately, uh, ignore each other for most of the night and um, occasionally dance sort of two or three feet apart from one another. That was the school social back in my day and uh, I used the term dance loosely. It was more like an uncoordinated, awkward shuffle that we would just... You know, stand around and just move awkwardly. Yeah, there's a bit of a move for you there, Christening. But the goal of the night, certainly in my mind, was to be engaged in that awkward shuffle at the moment when a slow song started to play. Something by Ario Speedwagon or, uh, you know, Spandau Ballet, for those of you who are sort of children of that era. Uh, because what would happen then, that might potentially lead to a slow dance and actual physical contact. Uh, with the girl who you were with at the time, if you were lucky. Uh, That never happened, sadly, not on that dance anyway. But something else happened that involved a boy named Paul, who was one of the bad boys. Paul, unlike me, was uh, one of these guys that always seemed to get in fights. Uh, He always smelled of cigarette smoke. He'd be down behind the school sheds, you know, having a bit of a fag before uh, school and uh, lunchtime. One of these kids that uh, trouble would just kind of follow him around. Well, Paul was there that night, and uh, as I recall, there was a scuffle on the dance floor, and as a result of the scuffle, Paul fell roughly 
into Carol, and in response, Carol pushed Paul away, which Paul then took offense at, and Paul then turned and spat on Carol on her dress. It was, you know, like hanging. It was one of those. Too much information, but you get the picture. It was, a, it was a horrible thing, actually, a horrible thing. And Carol then stormed off in angry tears. Well, something happened to me in that moment, and I developed something that resembled superhuman courage and strength. It was like an incredible Hulk moment. <laughs> Muscles began to bulge. Was, had this Arnold Schwarzenegger veins sort of pulsating in my neck. And I flew into this blind rage, totally out of character. I think anyone who knew me would have thought, who, who are you and what have you done with my friend? This blind rage. Next thing I had Paul. Bearing in mind Paul is slightly scary, unpredictable Paul who's had plenty of fighting experience. I had Paul by the shirt front up against the wall and I was ready to just absolutely deck this guy. And as I tell the slightly embellished version of the story, it took several students and teachers to pull us apart and to restrain me. Such was my superhuman strength at that time. But you see, Paul had dishonoured my girl. She wasn't really my girl, but... I thought of her as that at the time. And Paul had dishonoured her. He disrespected her. He'd shamed her. He'd done something dreadful and abusive. And so my response was to jump to her defence very dramatically in this case. Now, with each of these three stories, there's a, there's a perfect version, perfect version of the imperfect human example, if I could put it that way. And the perfect version is found in the character of God, who in this case is described through the scriptures as a jealous God. Actually, all through the scriptures, in multiple places, he's described as a jealous God. And jealousy is usually something we associate with being a fairly ugly characteristic. You know, it's associated with selfishness and suspicion and distrust, something usually that's unhealthy in a relationship, we would say, and uh, damaging to relationships. Actually, part of the sinful nature, if you're familiar with Galatians 5, which talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy and peace and those sorts of things. Galatians 5 also speaks about the fruit of the sinful nature, which includes... Things like jealousy, part of the sinful nature, something to be avoided. Well, how can we then associate it with God? God is a jealous God. What does that mean? Well, it turns out it has another meaning. It means something a little bit different. And what it means in this case, that God is a jealous God, means that God will vigilantly guard and defend that which is his. Vigilantly guard and defend that which is his. God's fatherly love for you as his child is so great, so deep, that he will vigilantly guard and defend you against the attacks of the powers of darkness, represented by Paul in this story. He will vigilantly defend you. He will take a stand for you. He will protect you. He will jump to your defense. First in Isaiah 43 Uh, The Lord says, since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you. I'll give nations in exchange for your life. Speaking of his people, Israel. This is the father heart of God. And uh, Jesus referred to this aspect of God's nature when he said uh, these words. He said, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and for him to be drowned in the depths of the sea. 
And any one of his disciples there at that moment, listening to Jesus, might well have thought, oh, settle down, Jesus, you know, it seems a bit extreme, get a bit carried away, calm down. But no, Jesus is expressing the, heart, the, the father heart, the jealous father heart of God, a jealous father who says, these are my people, these are my children, and I will protect them, I will defend them, I will take a stand for them. So don't get in my way if you know what's best for you. So as an earthly father, you know, when you, uh, many of you have experienced this, when you side with your children, when you lovingly protect them, when you defend them, when you believe them, when you take a stand for them, you'll do it imperfectly as I did on the dance floor in 1983 or whenever it was. You'll do it imperfectly. But in some sense, in those moments, you'll be reflecting the heart of your heavenly father who is jealous for you. So those of us who are dads today can identify perhaps with that idea of being jealous for our children, jealous for our family, vigilantly prepared to protect that which we love. Well, the second story takes me back to an exchange with my own father when I was around 17, and uh, my life at that point was well and truly in party mode. I'd graduated from uh, you know, school dances to a, a wider party scene, And the exchange revolved around my use of my dad's car, which was a Nissan Pulsar, much like that, that kind of vintage. Uh, He was very proud of his car. And uh, I'd recently got my licence, and so I was quickly getting into the habit of just driving my dad's car uh, whenever it suited me, which was quite a lot. It was quite often. I thought it was quite a good arrangement. Uh, When I was 17, it was working out quite well for me. Well, on one occasion approached my dad, I think it was a Saturday late morning when I managed to crawl out of bed, very late morning, and uh, I said, hey dad, I'm going to a party tonight, can I take your car? And uh, he said, no. So, well, what, are you, uh, you and mum going out somewhere, or, um, no, we're not going out, no, we're just going to be at home. So I said, well, so, so sorry, so help me to understand this dad. Uh, the car will be here and available uh, and sitting idly in the carport and you and mum will be sitting watching TV or something uh, but I, I can't use the car. Is that, it, like, is that right? That's right. Dad, I'll put petrol in it. I went down this path. I thought, you know, this is what it's about. It's about money. I'll put petrol in it, Dad, if that makes you feel any better. And he paused and he said, no, uh, actually, you can't take the car and the reason is because it's not your car. It's my car. And I've made a decision that you can't drive my car tonight. Well, I was outraged. I remember thinking, this, this is absolutely ridiculous. Steam began to come out of my ears. That Arnold Schwarzenegger vein that had, hadn't appeared for some time was pulsating in my neck again. And I let, my, I let fly at my dad. I still remember the conversation. I feel a bit ashamed about it. I absolutely let fly at my dad and I, I, I told him how, uh, how ridiculous it was, uh, what, a, what a Scrooge he was, you know, how selfish he was, how unfair this whole situation and uh, he let me rant and rage for a while as I said various things that were really quite unkind and, and unfair, inappropriate totally, you know, from a son to a father. He let me go at it for a while and uh, I discovered it didn't change anything, didn't change his mind. <laughs> <laughs> probably made it worse uh, 
And so I didn't take the car. Now, I didn't appreciate it at the time. But you see, I had some things to learn when I was 17 years old. (laughs) Things to do with uh, taking responsibility for my own life, my own circumstances. Things like not taking things for granted, not assuming. I had some growing up to do. I had to develop this understanding that it was not appropriate for me just to use my parents as a convenient vending machine whenever it suited me, as, as many of us view our relationship with God, actually. And as I reflected back, I didn't see it at the time, but as I reflected back, I realised my dad's decision was a right decision. Actually, it was, a, it was quite a brave decision. Because, I mean, dads would appreciate this. You understand that there are some decisions you make that you know are going to actually introduce some trouble (laughs) and some conflict. And he knew that, so it was a brave decision for him. And again, there's a perfect version of this imperfect example, and the perfect version is found in the character of God, who in this case is described through the Scriptures repeatedly as a, a just God. He's a just Father, in this first verse in Genesis, is a, it's a, actually the end of a conversation Abraham's having with God, his father. And in the end of the conversation in his prayer, he says, he says, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Some versions say, will not the judge of all the earth act justly? And the answer, of course, is a resounding Yes. Yes, he will act justly. If we look at the next verse on the next, as it come from Deuteronomy 32 there, all of God's ways are just, we discover in the scriptures. They are all just. He is faithful. He is upright. He is just in his very character. He's incapable of doing anything that is not just. He is just. And there are times in life when things happen happen that cause us to react like my 17-year-old self and rant and rave at God and tell him how unfair he is, how unjust he is, how ridiculous this scenario is that on our face in my life it's just so unfair. We cry out to God about the injustice of it all, but you see in our limited understanding, with our incomplete perspective, there are things we need to learn. And how wonderful to know that we have a God who is a just father. And yes, things do happen in our lives that are uh, unjust. It's not, it's not God that pr- brings them our way. Uh, many things in life are not fair. But God is fair. God is just. If you're an earthly father, you know that there are times when you need to make decisions that make you extremely unpopular with your kids. And at that's t- those times, you need to be their father, not their best pal, not their mate. You need to be their father and stand up. And sometimes that takes some courage when you know that you have to make decisions that will prove to be unpopular with your children. But as you are guided by a deep sense of what you know is actually right before God and fair and just, and as you hold that line, actually you reflect the heart of your perfect Father in heaven who in his very nature is a just father and will at times allow things in our lives that seem unfair, but he'll have things to teach us through them. Well, the final story relates to uh, my relationship with my own son. 
and uh, something that happened on one of our father-son weekends that we used to organise and uh, there used to be I guess about a dozen of us uh, who had boys around the same age in primary school and uh, back in those times our boys were sort of 9, 10, 11, so sort of that pre-pubescent phase and uh, we'd go down to dwelling up on an annual weekend camping trip and uh, we learned together actually as we did some reading about the importance of these weekends away that it was important to uh, include elements uh, that in some sense were a rite of passage for boys. You know, in our culture, we don't have a real rite of passage, which is why so many boys grow up not really knowing how to be men or not knowing how to be fathers. So on these camping trips, we discovered it was important to include some key elements uh, like fire and water. You know, there's something about a campfire. There's something about water activities that just seemed to be important. It was important for us to incorporate a sense of adventure that ideally we'd be engaging in some slightly risky activities that their mothers wouldn't approve of. There's something about that that actually was uh, important, that we would incorporate also some opportunity, typically uh, at night around a campfire, to tell stories around the campfire and actually talk as men to one another and share stories about our faith in God and what it meant to us. While our boys were there just, you know, playing with the fire and doing whatever they were doing, but they were listening. Significant times. Well, it was on one of these weekends that Jason and I were canoeing down the river and we're in this two-man canoe and we just managed to skillfully master a very dangerous section of the rapids that uh, threatened to overturn our canoe. Our very lives were at risk, you know, as we sort of look back and tell the story now. There's rapids going down, dwelling up, so it's, you know... You know it's not that bad, but in our minds it was a huge thing. And so we'd done this, and you know, then we'd survived that. We were then floating peacefully along this quiet stretch of the still water. When Jason turned to me, and uh, he was in the front of the canoe and I was in the back, he said, Dad, I've never forgotten this for my whole life. He said, Dad, I think this is the best day of my whole life. And it just warmed my heart, you know, and even now it warms my heart. I think every, every father in the room, sort of, yes, just long for those moments of uh, precious moments that, with your son. And uh, interestingly, chatting with Jason about that the other day, he has no recollection of making that comment at all. <laughs> this is deeply disappointing. <laughs> but as I said to him the other day, you know, he may not remember it, but something was forged through those experiences that helped to form the bond of relationship that he and I have today, which is a, a close bond, a great, a great father-son relationship. And so the key purpose of those weekends was to devote generous time to spend with our boys, to invest in them. We did that over a number of years, and Margie used to say, my wife used to say that Jason would come home, uh, you know, we'd come home smelling of campfire smoke and dirty as anything, but he would come home a foot taller than we left. There's, in some sense, he'd taken a, a further step into what manhood would become for him. Significant events. And again, there's a perfect version of this imperfect example. And the perfect version is found in the character of God, who in this case is described, again, all through the scriptures in different verses, as a generous God and a generous Father. 
Matthew 7, Jesus says to his disciples, is, is there a father among you who would take a, offer his son a stone when he asks for fish or a scorpion when he asks for bread? He says, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask him? And it's that phrase, how much more, that stands out to me. The answer, of course, is infinitely more. Infinitely more. And so in that canoe, I had a little taste of heaven, a taste of the joy of my heavenly Father, who delights in spending time with me, who longs for a deepening of relationship with me, and who is infinitely generous with his time, with his love, with his creation, with the rain, with his grace, with his mercy, infinitely generous. How great, 1 John 3, 1 says, how great is the love that the Father lavishes upon us. How great is the love that he pours out with great abundance and with great generosity. How great is that love that we should be called the children of God. The great truths of the scripture. This idea that to each and every one of us, our heavenly Father who is jealous for us, who is just in his dealings with us, who is generous to us, extends to us the invitation, the invitation that goes out again today to those who don't know him, the invitation to be adopted into his family and welcomed and included and embraced and loved, to be fathered well in this life and for eternity when perfection comes. And to some of us, he gives this extraordinary privilege of being dads and somehow to be a reflection, if we go to that last screen, to be a reflection of the one in whose image we are created. An imperfect reflection, but a reflection nonetheless. Psalm 18, as for God, his way is perfect. He is the perfect father. He is flawless. He shields those who take refuge in him. We have a perfect father in heaven who loves us with perfect, everlasting love and who teaches us to live in a way that honours him and honours those around us as we live rightly before him with his help, with his grace, with the power of his Holy Spirit within us and we live lives that begin to reflect the perfect father. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truths of your word, which we've been reminded of today, that you, that you are jealous for us, that you will vigilantly defend us in times of trouble, in times of spiritual attack, that you are just in your dealings with us, that you are generous, incredibly generous in your love for us and the way that you watch over us, pour your love out, love out into our lives, just longing for our response. We come to you this morning, Lord, with openness of heart, asking that you'd help us. We bring before you, Lord, our imperfections, our failures. I pray for dads this morning who just perhaps feel like they've not done a great job at all. Yet, Lord, even this morning you would reach out in your love and in your grace to welcome people into your family. Help us, Lord, to understand these things and to respond rightly 
and uh, we pray your blessing on each and every one this Father's Day. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.